Welcome to On The Soul's Terms podcast. Uh, today I'm joined by Pasi. His full name is Ashish Pasi, but uh, he goes simply by the name Pasi. I met him on a 10-day Vipassana retreat that I completed just 10 days ago. I got to talking to him on the 10th day after, after all the days of silence. You are allowed to talk again. And um, I got to chatting with him about you know what he was doing there as a as an assistant and a server, and uh, and he started to tell me about all of his experiences with Vipassana. Now I had done one in two thousand and seven, and this was my second. So I was fascinated to hear of someone who had done twenty nine of these, um, ranging from ten days to thirty days each time, and served on a further thirteen. So with that wealth of experience, I was really interested just to hear what he might have to say about the technique, how it's helped him in his life, what it's done for his mind, what it's done for his relationships, um, and just how it's, how it's impacted his, his existence, really. Fortunately for us, I asked him and he said a big enthusiastic yes um, to that. And so he joins me today. And just before we get to that, a little bit about what is Vipassana. Um, it is an ancient Indian meditation technique said to go all the way back to the days of the Buddha. And the word Vipassana actually means to see things as they really are. A little bit like what Morpheus offers to Neo in The Matrix. And the real beauty of Vipassana for me is that each, each participant in Vipassana is basically gifted it by a previous participant. At the end of each course, the opportunity is there to gift others to experience it as well. So it's fully donation-based. There's no set price, and it's done on the basis of what you can afford. And um, and as such, it's a, it keeps it out of the out of the the perils of free market capitalism, and keeps it in a more pure and true place. Um, it's all around the world, so wherever you're listening from, there probably is one quite nearby you. If you want to learn more about it, you can go to dharma.org, D-H-A-M-M-A.org, uh, or I'll just put the link in the show notes as well. So, without further ado, I bring you my chat today with Bussy. Welcome to On The Soul's Terms podcast. Conversations with those navigating the edges of the known and unknown in the worlds of health, healing, psychology, mythology, astrology, and more. I'm your host, Chris Skidmore. About a week ago, I got out of a 10-day silent retreat. Uh, it's the Vipassana method as taught by Goenkaji. And... Um, and while I was there, I was uh, I had the the pleasure of meeting a man named Pasi, who's uh, sitting with me here today. He he actually helped me out in there. There were a few things that went on for me personally, and he was able to sort of come to my rescue in a few in a few moments. And just a good man. And so I got to talk to him. And uh, uh, once we could start talking again, I asked him if he would like to come on to the podcast. And he said yes. And he's with me here in the first live in-person podcast 
of On the Souls Terms, episode 33. Uh, so thanks for joining us today, Pasi. Hey, thank you, Chris, for having me. And hello to all, all the listeners out there. You know, you, you introduced me as a good man, and uh, I don't know when was the last time I looked at myself like that. You know? <laughs> but I'm happy to be here, and uh, this also is my first in-person podcast, so excited for this one. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, I mean, you strike me as a good man, and so you'll have to trust me on that. From <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I, I guess we could start by sharing a little bit of your story with the listeners, you know, um, uh, specifically, I suppose some of your story and also how, how you came to find, um, well, where you're from and then how you came to find Vipassana and, and, you know, some of your journey as it, as it's woven in and out of, of your life. Yeah. Um, so I'm from Delhi. India originally and uh, right after high school I moved to the US uh, for my college and then to work later in the Silicon Valley um, I was there for about 11 years Wow! and while I was in California working my mother back home she tried Vipassana with one of her friends uh, it was her friend who introduced her to it and then she calls me one day, she says, son, I found this wonderful technique. Um, maybe you should give it a shot since it's all across the world. And it's something which is just good, which will just help you live better, you know. Uh, it's good for day-to-day -day life. Mm. But me being me at that time, you know, mid-twenties, I was living the high life in California. I said, come on, mom, what are you talking about? Meditation right now? Thank you very much, you know. <laughs> um, and I didn't, didn't really pay attention to it at that time till I decided to move back to India, quit my career over there in, in the Silicon Valley because I wasn't enjoying what I was doing. It was, a, you know, it was a career in electrical engineering which made no sense to me at all. And I wanted to do something which involved professional speaking and helping people at the same time with the dose of the business intelligence involved. Mm. You know? So I really didn't know what name or shape or form to give it at that time, but I was clear this is what I want to try to do. Mm. And when I moved back, it was just like life opened up doors for me. Things happened. I met people. And uh, I got to be a leadership consultant for companies, which combined all these elements, which I always aspired for. Mm. You know? uh, and then moving on, I got married. One of those arranged marriages, okay. Indian style, yeah, you yeah. know, big weddings, thousand people, guest list, you know, the whole town knows about it. And it didn't work out. The first year we started having problems. And now I know it was all my wrongdoing, yes. But at that time, I didn't know it was my fault. I was busy pointing fingers at others. Um, but during that, if I look back, that was probably the only tough time, you know, like real tough time, which I experienced in my life. Um, 
because I wasn't sure how to deal with this, you know, mm. because because I had a big head, my ego was so big and I just couldn't answer the question that why is this happening to me? Mm. You know, <laughs> why me? Uh, and during that time, then I asked my mom again, I said, mom, you had mentioned something a few years ago about meditation. What was it? Mm. And that's when Vipassana came up again. And I went to try my first course uh, in May of 2005 in Jaipur in India. Mm. Yeah. Um, and it was an incredibly tough experience for me. Yeah. Now I see people in courses who are there for their first time. I respect them that much more because I think I was the worst student ever really? in a first course. You know, I never hung around in the sittings. I was always finding ways to escape the hall. And wow. I gave the volunteers a tough time, you know, <laughs> including the teacher. I was a bad, bad student. Um, again, because I had no idea how to deal with my own self. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I was unstable in my mind, unstable in my body. And uh, it was the month of May in Jaipur, about 45 degrees Celsius. Ouch. It was super hot. And we had one of those teachers who was a little strict. You know, you have different flavors of teachers, yeah. just like different flavors of students. Yeah. And this one was a little strict. He didn't allow me a backrest or to sit against the wall. And we were just sweating the whole time. And I was in incredible pain, coupled with this unstable mind. Um, I was actually, you know, walking around campus, collecting twigs and small sticks to try and make my own backrest oh, using yeah. a cushion. <laughs> That's how bad I was, oh, yes. Wow. And of course, even that didn't work, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I was thinking every moment of those first 10 days that how can I escape from here, you know? Um, but the only reason I stayed back was again so that I could go out and t tell people that I at least finished 10 days, you know? Uh, I didn't want to go out and show a face of a loser, yes? Right, yeah. Keep that mask on. <laughs> mm, wow. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, so I got through it and thank the heavens for getting me through it. And I didn't get anything out of the teaching, really. Really? Really. Yeah. Nothing at all. The only aspect I got was there is something to it which needs another chance. Okay. I don't know what it is. But surely there is something which needs another chance. So you basically ended up just feeling frustrated. Maybe, you know, like I can hear how much you just wanted to get out of the situation, but you stayed in. And then also coming up against the, maybe the authority of the teacher or something that was just kind of like really niggling you. Or, but then I'm also hearing, I mean, I've been blessed to only do it twice, but to be doing it at reasonably high altitudes and the temperatures maybe. 20s to 30s right like yeah. I, i'm just trying to imagine a 45 degree indian may yeah ouch yeah yeah now you know now i think those things don't matter 
right? right. Uh, yeah. And, and people ask me now, so that was my first course. Now I've been through 29 as a student and I've served on 13 more. Mm. And people ask me all the time, hey, what's a good center? Where is a good climate? Where is good food? Uh, where's a good teacher? But, you know, now I think none of these questions have any essence to them at all. Yeah, right. You know, because ultimately it's about your own practice and yeah, how sure. you're able to connect with your own reality. It's yeah. just that my own reality at that time was so inflated and so off the mark mm. that I could only focus on these external things mm. without being introverted at all. Well, in a way, even your uh, motivation seems to have been an ego motivation, yeah. right? an ego project of, yeah. of being able to say that you completed it yeah. and then that was it. Exactly. From screwing up my marriage to going for this course and looking for answers from this course, looking for solutions from this course is still the ego saying, you know, I'm spending these 10 days and I want my answers. Mm. Huh? Uh, to during the course feeling, why am I not being taken care of? You mm. know, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it was, it's all ego. Yeah. Mm. And then to finishing it, still coming out and telling people that I did 10 days, even though I didn't get, you know, an iota of learning from it. Right. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So. Well, how did you go from that? You know, I mean, what what did happen? Because how did you, between the first and the second, now this is a mystery here, like uh, how did you ever decide to go back in after an experience like that? Yeah, because see, I understood that, Yes, it's, you know, uh, the, the inadequacy of my own self, why I wasn't able to do that course well. Because I saw other students who are, you know, who were from what appeared on the outside, who were just meditating like Buddha. And I said, man, what is this? How far away am I from that, you know? Mm. Uh, why can't I be at least somewhat like that? Mm. Uh, because that yearning to learn and improve myself has always been there it's just where do i need those improvements was not clear to me Mm. yes Uh, Mm -hmm. and even now yes because we as human beings continue to live in our blind spots yeah and i have huge ones (laughs) 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 you know uh so so it's just that yeah it needs a second shot yeah that's all and that's what well, it's interesting because, I mean, I'm imagining this small part of you then that, that felt that that actually grokked it or actually got, even though most of you, maybe 98% of you was like, nah, yeah. you know, like, yeah. nah, this sucks, yeah. you know, like, yeah. forget this. Yeah. Just that little bit of something was yeah. in there going like, wait a second, yeah. you know, it, despite all of that inflation and ego and everything else going on, there was something, something else. Yeah. Mm. I said, I'm ready to go through a 10-day torture again, (laughs) be in jail for 10 days again, (laughs) you know, no problem. I geared up myself for that mentally. Mm. Uh, But I couldn't live with the fact that I go on without giving it another chance. Okay, yeah. So six months later, I went back to the same center again. Uh, So now it was November 
<laughs> the weather was more forgiving. Yeah. Um, was the teacher more forgiving? Well, it's not that the first teacher wasn't forgiving. Mm. You know, he was. They're just trying to keep you on track. Yeah. You know, it's just that you want to choose a different track. You yeah, know? yeah, of course. That's all. So it's not about his authority or anything else, you know. Everybody has their style and ultimately mm. it's for your good, whether you recognize it or not in that mm. moment. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I went back and uh, this time, yes, I was a little more stable, slightly more in the sense I started understanding at least what the teaching is about, but still not being able to apply it, you know, mm. um, because you know, in the first two or three courses, this is what I realized. First few courses, it was true for me, and I hear it from experiences of other students, that you tend to get this feeling that I've got it now. Mm. <laughs> I understand it now. I've become the master. Mm. You know, and that's the biggest fallacy that that we commit. Mm. Uh, and then... As you go on and on, every course that I go go to now, the first thing I realize is whatever I have been practicing thus far has been wrong. That's the biggest learning I, I derive from every course. It's been wrong. My practice has been wrong according to the teaching. And, you know, listening to the same instructions, same discourses, same teachings over and over again, I keep finding gold dust, new gold dust every time and then apply it to myself and I see now, man, what I've been doing is wrong, you know. Uh, and, and, and that, I think, has been one of the biggest liberating factors, one of the biggest gifts of this practice. Mm. Because in the name of meditation, I think we tend to carry so much baggage on ourselves, the baggage of desired outcomes, mm. you know, uh, that, oh, now I have done this, now something should happen in my life. Now some change should automatically arrive. Now people should start telling me, oh, you are radiating, you are glowing, you are this, you are this, you have a halo around your head. It's just you manufacture those expectations mm. in your head, which turn out to be huge baggages. Mm. Uh, but in essence, hey, so what, man? If you've done 10 days or 100 days or 1,000 days, who cares? What is that change that you're looking for on the outside? Nothing's going to change on the outside. The only thing that might change is on the inside. That's if you've practiced well, that is. If you're practicing wrong, even that's not going to happen. Mm. Yes? Mm -hmm. So I was able to relieve myself of that, uh, which, you know, this I was clinging on to these desired outcomes for the first few courses. Okay, yeah. Uh, and then I met a German guy, I still remember him, beyond rates, you know. Um, it was his third course, I think, and my second. And he was sitting right next to me uh, for the entire 10 days. Of course, we didn't speak, but, you know, you're observing each other and you know from the mannerisms that this guy is a serious student, you know, always on time, mm. uh, not leaving the hall, following instructions. So, so you start respecting those blokes, you know, you look up to them. And we started chatting on day 10 after the silence broke. 
And he, he told me one thing which I still remember, and I've said it in, in return to other people. He said, bro, the first 25 courses are just an experiment. <laughs> wow. That's what he said. And it was his third course and my second. And I looked up at his face. <laughs> I said, really? I thought I've arrived. What are you talking about? You know, and that changed my perspective a lot. Just that statement from him. And again, you know, I started thinking about myself that, come on, man, expand your thinking. What are you doing? Mm. How can you be looking for results just because you've spent 20 days now? Mm. You know, Uh, so and that's how I started looking at it, that every course, it's an experiment. Baby steps. We see what happens. Mm. And uh, yeah, you know. So then each time you would go in and almost kind of like reset and and realize that no, I've been I've been doing it wrong. It's an interesting kind of perspective, right? To be to be able to see, oh no, that this up until now I've been doing this wrong, and then sort of resetting yourself and sort of like repurifying, I guess, and re-entering the moment with that beginner's mind once more. Yeah, I think that's yeah. most important. What you say, walk in every time with a beginner's mindset, mm. um, because when we listen to the teaching, it sounds simple. You know, it does. It that really you don't does. have to do yeah. anything; you only have to observe. But you know, yeah. you know that the simplest things are the hardest to do. Mm. We make them complicated on our own. Yes. Uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So. Because again, it's the ego saying, I'm doing, I'm doing something. And the ego is just not ready to say, I'm just sitting back and observing. (laughs) Then what good am I? Mm. You know, uh, just to come to terms with that fact. I think it takes, at least it's taking me a long time. Well, (laughs) yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I mean, I, I, it was, it's interesting, uh, you know, I did my, I, this was only my second and I did my first in 2007. Mm. It was so interesting to sort of get the difference between my 28-year-old self mm. and my 43-year-old mm. self, you know, and to get to really feel the, the difference. And I do, I can really relate to that um, that feeling of like, yeah, I got this. Yeah. And, you know, like yeah. because yeah. man in his 20s yeah. just... Of course, yeah. right? Like, oh yeah, here we go. Kind of yeah, thing, right? yeah, exactly. And then it was good to do it now with an older person's body mm. and go like, oh wow, okay, you know, and to really feel how much is wound up in my own system and yeah. Yeah. and uh, just how much there is in there yeah. and the sort of like, oh, there's there's and and I think that helped me to get more into it in some weird way, because for starters, I wanted to get out of it because mm. it was painful, mm. you know, and much more painful to see mm. in that. So just like I can so relate to the the character or the archetype of the one who's just trying to get out, like the yeah. escape artist, yeah. right? Like how yeah. can I get out? And then when they tell you you can't have your seat, you're like picking up twigs, you know, yeah. like inventive and arrogant, <laughs> yeah. and, you know, all exactly. that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then to get this on your second one where the, where an interesting person who te- who's only on their third and tells you the first 25 is an experiment. What a yeah. beautiful yeah. Yeah, idea. Yeah. And to think that from that you actually did go and do, I mean, you're at, you're at 29 so far. Um, you know, like what is that journey then, you know, from, from that time 
and and going through so many more what is that what can you sort of tell us about that that journey of going i mean well for starters let's start let's go back to the end of your second one and did you feel like you you really connected to the work more in that one though do you can you cast your mind back um i don't exactly remember now because that was again in 2005 november uh you know the end experience i don't remember but i do remember that yes in the second course i felt this is it man okay this is the practice i want to stick with yeah you know it's it's like this example which goinkaji also shares during his discourse he says if you're walking in a hot desert on a sunny day and you're out of water uh you want to dig a well there you say, oh, I dig 10 feet here. Then you say, no, 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 maybe water is better there. I'm going to dig 10 feet there. No, 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 I'm going to dig 10 feet there. You're going to die, (laughs) right? Uh, Until you decide, I'm going to keep digging till I find the water, you know? So uh, for me in life in general, I have never been that person who sticks to one thing and goes to the depth of it. You know, I have never pushed myself to those limits, never mm. challenged myself, never been focused or determined in that fashion. Um, I've just been more of a skippy mm-hmm. fellow, you Digging know, just getting holes. by, just yeah. doing enough to get by. Yeah, That's what defines me, you know. I've done okay, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, but, but this, this thing of, yeah, man, something which I can go really deep in, mm. uh, this is what then struck me and I said, this is it, you know, and, and since then I haven't tried any other practice or even before that rather, you know, right. um, this is the only one and I stuck with it, man. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. I do love that analogy and it seems particularly uh, a potent analogy for this day and age of, yeah. you know, we're offered so many different things and even in, spiritual communities and this there's many different types of yoga and many different types of like qigong and and all the different things and yeah i do remember that analogy i think i first heard the dalai lama use that analogy as well many many moons ago and um still hasn't stopped me from experimenting with many many different things personally but there is that sense of like yeah the the idea of going deep into one yeah and and so yeah, it was clear to you around about that time, yeah. perhaps that okay, yeah. this. Now it could be a good time to pause and just tell, I guess, the audience about um, what is vipassana, as as far as your, you know, what where does it come from? What's the you know, without I guess you can't give it away, right? But as far as the technique and everything, but but maybe tell us a bit about the lineage of the history. And um, just to just sort of like take us through yeah. the story of it. Yeah, like you said, you know, about the technique, we'll stay away because only teachers are supposed to Absolutely. talk about the technique. Yeah. But yeah, from, um, from what I understand, it, it's a technique which was discovered by Buddha 2,500 years ago. Mm. Actually, last year, last year, I think it was the 2,600th year. And there oh. was a there was a huge celebration. Really? Around. Okay, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, when he first discovered it, 
and he started teaching it to people. The first teachings were about six weeks long, mm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the, in today's day and age, if they have a six week as a starting course, wow. yeah, you know, not many people are going to make it. Yeah. Yes. True. So then they thought, okay, what's the shortest duration which we can do, which will at least make some sense to people. Mm. And that is how they came up with a 10-day course, you know, reducing, reducing that. Okay, and anything less than 10 days, they say it doesn't make sense. So, it's, it, you know, it's because one-third of every course, you have to work on your breath, which is the anapana. Oh, is that a third of the course rather than? Yes. Yeah, okay. One-third of every course yeah. is anapana. So in a 30-day course, that's a 10-day period. Yes. Really? Wow. Yeah. Okay. You know, and then, and anapana is just like sharpening your tools, you know, like a surgeon who has to go for a surgery. He needs sharp tools. Mm-hmm. And those that anapana is that. Right. And after that, once your mind becomes incisive and hopefully one-pointed, that's when you're able to uh, go in and practice whatever the teaching is. Yeah. Okay. And, um, and that's it. So then, and, and there's other things around it, like silence, noble silence. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, noble silence to the level of no eye contact. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, when I tell people on the streets that this is what it is, the thing that scares them the most are two things. One, oh, how can I be silent for 10 days? I can't do that, you know? And second, no dinner. (laughs) 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 You know, because here you get your breakfast at 6.30, you get your lunch at 11 a.m., and that's it. You know, 5 p.m. in the evening is a light snack for new students. Anyone who's doing it for the first time is a new student. After that, it's all old students, and old students only get lemon water at Mm. 5 p.m. in the evening. So, you know, these two things, being silent and no dinner. And for me, both of them have never been an issue. Yeah. You know, of course, I dream a lot about food and uh, analyze and strategize what are the different places I'm going to go eat (laughs) once I get out. Yeah. But keeping silent has never been an issue because, yes, you're silent on the outside, but your mind is not quiet even for a moment. Mm. So you're okay. never really silent. Yeah. You know? And uh, in fact, that's when you hear the real noise within. Mm. Yeah, remember, it's so rowdy, isn't it? Oh, it's out of control. Oh, out of control, man. <laughs> yeah. And then you say, Really? Is this really me? I had a different impression of myself. I used to think <laughs> I'm in control. <laughs> you know, now I'm telling my mind to shut up and poo, it's not even listening to me. Yeah. My own mind. Mm. Then what right do I have to tell anyone to be a certain way if I can't do it to my own self? Mm. You know, that's another realization that you get. Mm. Uh, that let the world be, you know, and, and you just focus on your being. That's all. Mm. Yeah. You know, otherwise, I was at least busy 
telling others that you should be a certain way, my wife, you should be a certain way, my parents, you should be a certain way, my brother, my friends, people at work, you know, all of you need to change, except me. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So the silence kind of amplifies the mind, doesn't it? And so I, I do appreciate that element of it because there's no inputs I guess no inputs, no outputs. Yeah. So there, there is your uh, chamber, your yeah. mind chamber. Yeah. And you just, there it goes. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah. And, and it's like they explain uh, during the practice also. It's like this little experiment, you know. Um, if you're cooking on a hot stove and once the cooking is done, you splash some water on it. It's going to make that sound, no, shoo, yeah. the shoo sound. Mm. But after a while, that sound ceases to exist. This is the shoo sound of the mind, mm. you know, because you throw, throw in a few drops of this practice and the mind just starts to react. You know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And... Um, yeah, I mean it's so it's so interesting what it because in everyday life while you're not silent you wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily notice, right? Because there's a lot more sort of input output. Not at all. Mm. You know, because also what I realized then was that most of the things I was staying engaged with uh, it's either to escape my own reality. Mm. Whether it's friends, hanging out with friends, uh, you know, even travel, uh, even meditation. I went to these courses as an escapist because Mm. I wanted to get away from my life, you know. Mm. And I say, okay, I'm, you know, just going to do this so that nobody else can bother me. Mm. And using this as an <laughs> escapism tool also doesn't work. <laughs> hmm? Of course, doesn't work. Yeah. Uh, it was one of the things that I noticed most this time. You know, is they is there's a figure that was pointing at where the pain is, and there was me trying to get around and like skip over, skip out. You know, I had a lot of pain in my um, left thigh kind of back to the sacrum area and i was thinking about you know this i'll go to see this osteopath and this craniosacral therapist and things that i was going to do and you know really convincing myself that this is purely physical this thing that's going on you know Mm -hmm. and i actually i mean i practice craniosacral therapy i know that there's more layers to Mm -hmm. what's going on but me in those moments was like no but but this is this purely physical pain mm. and uh you know really therefore escape artist work mm. right like mm. well after this 10 days is when i'll go figure that out mm. you know then mm. then i'll go work it out but for now i mean i know this technique sounds very good and everything yeah. but not for me because this yeah. is obviously a purely physical pain yeah. and it's so interesting because that figure just kept pointing there it's like yeah you can do that you could do that the whole 10 days and, mm. you know, there'd be no kind of like, you won't get in trouble. You won't, nobody will know. And, but then he just kept pointing at this place and going like, yeah, but there's the pain. So up to you, you can spend this 10 hours of meditating today. 
um, ignoring it or jumping out of it or trying to get around it. Yeah. Or you can go in there. And it seems like that was always an option. Or maybe is always an option, right? Yeah, yeah you, can, you can get around and go. And then, as you say, like, go blame others for it and point the finger and get out that way. Yeah. Or you can go in there. It just kept being back to that, right? Like, or you, or you can go sit in the middle of that. Yeah. Just like Goenkaji says, if you're sitting on the banks of a flowing river, and observing it flow, you're going to see a high tide, low tide, clean water, dirty water, dead bodies, flowers, everything. But you're just sitting on the bank and watching it flow. Mm. And that is life. And that is this practice. Mm -hmm. But we tend to jump into the river (laughs) and try to change the course of that river. Mm. It's not going to happen. Right. And uh, this, in fact, for me at least, was the hardest thing of the practice, that how do I just sit on the banks of my life, of my being, you know, uh, and just observe it yeah, without jumping into it, you know, without Mm -hmm. associating myself at that level, without clinging on to it at that level. And, uh, And there are moments... You know, those moments when you're able to do that, you know, those are truly, uh, you know, those are gifted moments. Mm. Yes. Those are the ones which throw real insights and real light at what the reality is. Yeah. Mm. Otherwise, it's always you're caught in a whirlpool Mm. and just not able to make sense of anything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and just this example for me. And even now, when I go practice, the first thing, you know, when I sit is this, I ask myself, am I on the bank or am I in it? Mm. That's the first thing. I like that question. And, uh, and, and no matter if I'm not on the bank, but I'm in it, but at least I'm aware of it. Okay, mm. man, right now, you're just grappling with it, you know. Your head is going down, coming up momentarily. Again, you're drowning, but it's okay. I'm watching you. Mm. You know, it's like when they say if in a dark room, you drop something and then you try to find it. How are you going to find it? You're going to turn on a torch. Mm-hmm. And it's that torch that we have to be because that torch is always at a distance at a distance objectively looking for this thing Mm. yes same thing this torch or being on the bank it's that distance which matters Mm -hmm. you know Uh, and, and this is what I keep asking myself over and over again Am I really looking at things that way? Mm. You know, and this is what this is what has helped me shape my perspective towards life. In some moments, of course, you know, can't be mm. all the time. In a few fleeting moments, <laughs> they're able to look at things from this slight distance. Look at myself from this slight distance. Look at my practice from this slight distance. 
and that is what has been most fulfilling. Yeah, what do you what do you think is the difference between that little bit of distance that you can see things from, and say a, a certain dissociation mm. or a or a or almost like a coldness or removed or avoidant self? You know, what do you think is the difference between because what you're saying sounds like a really healthy experience, and it's something that I experience as healthy, but then what where's the Where's the edge or the differentiation between, say, a dissociative state or a removed and kind of too far away state, do you think? Good question. Uh, I've never looked at it that way of being too far, you know, mm. because because I'm still struggling to be just enough far away. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know, so yeah. I don't think I've gone too far away yet. Yeah. Um, but it's an interesting point you bring up, Chris. Um, I think, I think, like they say, you know, because people ask, hey, how long do I stay with my experience or how long do I really observe a particular experience? And the answer which I've heard a few teachers give students is when you start relishing it, when mm. you start really tasting it, you know, mm. that's when you know you're going overboard. Mm. Other than that, there is no real cutoff as such. You know? Right, okay. So I yeah. guess the same thing over here. Um, you know, if I start relishing that fact that, yeah, now I can just lounge on the outside. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's, that's it. Yeah, because yeah, I imagine a there's, a, there's a possibility of, of um, almost zooming out like, the experience of being untouchable um, or just straight up dissociative, right? Like just, just actually switch off. I guess that might be the difference, like one of the differences there as I hear that. Actually, it doesn't switch you off, you know? Yeah. The, the dissociation you're talking about is not from the world as such or not from the life as we know it. The dissociation is only from your own entanglement. Right. That's all. Yeah, yeah. And uh, only when you're able to step away from your entangle, uh, entanglement, you're able to see life for what it is rather mm. than what you want it to be. Right. Yeah. Almost like a moment of being able to say, well, what is going on here? Yeah. What is this about? Yeah. 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 Just like we're sitting in this beautiful office of yours, you know, and, and we're just looking outside the windows, right? It's raining, the nature is healthy, lush, green. It's yeah. a wonderful surrounding, but we are looking at it. Mm. Yeah? What if this is my life? You know, what, is, what if this is my being? Mm. And same way, it doesn't mean it ceases to exist. It's there. Mm. But now I know how to appreciate it more. You mm. know, I know uh, how to be aware of its surroundings yes mm. that's all there's a concept in the in process work which is the type of psychotherapy that i do and it's called the meta communicator mm. not the meta as in the the love process that we talked about at, at, you know during the during the course but uh the meta communicator that seems to be this one that you're talking about that remains connected to all of the parts of myself and to but it but is kind of like zoomed out and able to say, oh, yeah, that kind of like you said, you know, hey, there you are, man. You, yeah. You're in the river. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I see you. It's cool. You don't know. Yeah. You know, you're just like dunking your head and yes, yes, you're falling yes. over and stumbling around and yeah. going round and round. Yeah. And, but just know that I can see you there. Yeah. And just that, right, can be like, oh, just, just enough space. Yes. yes. <laughs> between myself and my experience. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. 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 That was hardest thing for me. Was it? Because, yeah. because. This is the difference between doing and observing, no? Mm. The ego always says, I want to do, I want to jump in the river, I want to fight the current, I want to mm. make something happen so I can feel valuable. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. The games we play with ourselves. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it seems a big a big story in the West, especially because I think we're really engulfed in the um, in the story of the hero, you know. And the hero yeah. is very similar to the ego, right? Like, yeah. look at me go, you know. Yeah. We have all these super egos, right? Yeah. These super um, heroes yeah. that are able to do all these things, yeah. right? It's kind yeah. of like part of the part of that big myth that runs the Western world, I think, yeah. and. You know, how does that work out? <laughs> yeah, man. You know, and just a recent experience for me during COVID, actually. Okay. Um, yeah. During the lockdown. Yeah. Mm. The first year of the lockdown was extremely hard for me mm. being at home and, and being on video calls the whole day, mm. uh, you know, because my work is all digital and remote. So we were still on. Right. Um, during COVID, and it just made me numb, you know. Mm. Uh, and because I've never been that that kind of person that, you know, always be on, always about work in this manner. Mm. Yes, I like work to be more creative, more mm. thoughtful, innovative. Connected uh, as well, right? Connected, just from what you were saying before, you know, you know that that person to person connection, yeah, not through the screen, yeah, you know, yeah. missing the energy of people, the physical yeah. contact, yeah, uh, you know, the physical presence rather. Um, and it was a tough year. And uh, again, you know, looking for an escape from that kind of a situation. What helped me was, again, the first. First step of Buddha's Eightfold Noble Path. Mm. The first step of that is that this is misery. That's mm. the first step. And in all these years, I think only during that COVID year, I really understood what this really means, you know, because <laughs> some people have always said, oh, why such a pessimistic view, man? You know, that this is misery. Why? Life is good. It's happy. It's healthy. Um. But then I realized during that time that, yes, I wanted to be free. I felt caged, but it's not happening. Mm. I wanted work to be more in a physical setting, not in a digital setting, but it's not happening. Uh, I wanted to travel, but it's not happening. So everything which I wanted was not happening which is what is making me feel caged. Mm. And that is misery. So at the end of it, like in this practice also, Vipassana, they say, if you were to bucket all the problems of this world, 
how many buckets do you think you will have? <laughs> you want to take a guess? How many buckets? Yeah, or how many problems? How many problems? So each problem has its own bucket? Even just, let's forget the buckets. <laughs> how many problems do you think exist in the entire world? Oh, wow. I mean, just uncountable amounts? That's what, you know, I used to think. Yeah. But then he says, Buddha says, there's only two. Hmm. Things I want that I don't have. Mm-hmm. Things I have which I don't want. Mm-hmm. That's it. Things I want that I don't have. Things I have that I don't want. Yes. That's very simple. That's it. Mm. And this is what craving and aversion is all about. Mm. And this is what causes misery. Mm. Because at that time, I wanted to travel, I wanted to eat certain kinds of food, I wanted to, uh, you know, be a certain way, work a certain way, meet certain people. All that is not happening. Mm. I don't want to be enclosed in my home with the family the whole time. But things which I don't want are there. And it's just these two. Mm. Which, are, which makes the whole world miserable. There is no third problem. The third problem can be just ignorance. Okay, but we can be excused for ignorance. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> but it's just these two. And when, you know, and I, because that lockdown period gave me a lot of time to think yeah. like everybody else. I yeah, just kept yeah. thinking about it. I said, yeah, man. It's just these two which make life miserable. But these two are not going to go away because that's the nature of the mind. Mm. Yes? This is what escapism is all about. Mm-hmm. That's the nature of the mind. And, if, and this is misery. So that's the biggest truth that yes, this is misery. It's not going to happen the way you want it to. And then for the first time in my life, even after multiple Vipassana courses. It was during lockdown where I was truly able to internalize this thing within myself. Mm. And I felt the transformation happening within. Really? Yeah. You know? And then from being absolutely miserable, I saw myself change to being at peace with the situation. I said, boy, at least you're breathing, man. Hmm? At least, you know, you haven't been sick or you haven't been to the hospital or none of your family members have been to the hospital. Mm. So what the hell are you complaining about? Mm. <laughs> and uh, from that moment when I was able to truly bite my teeth into this realization, man, I felt so happy. I shed tears of joy huh. just out of thankfulness, you know. Uh, and truthfully, honestly, not just. And it was a huge learning for me, mm. Chris, you know. Um, and that's it. The, my low times, whatever, however depressed I was feeling, it just turned like a swing. You know, the swing that we all have been on as a kid. Yeah. I used to envision that swing. I say, okay. When it's going down, it's going down, man. You know, and let's see what's the lowest point it can go to. 
And I'm observing myself, what's the lowest point I can go to? And then automatically the swing turns and has an upswing. And same thing I experienced within myself. Mm. And it only happened because of this, that I could truly understand what Buddha means. But, you know, with the first step of his eight step path, mm. this is misery. And it's only because of these two things. That's all. It sounds like the thing you're describing as well as a, is a deep realization or something. There's a, a, a realization rather than a, because you could have that, um, those thoughts, right? You could understand or somebody listening to you could say like, oh, right, everything is cravings and aversions. But there's a, there's those years of, of being with, there's those, there's a, there's a lot that goes into that that can be simplified into like, oh, the realization is this. But if somebody doesn't drop into that realization, then they're sort of like, there's a mimicry, right? There's a sort of a, you know, you said that and now I'm going to say that and you know what I mean? Exactly. You know, then it's a back and forth all the time. Yeah. You're just trying to prove a point rather than getting the point. (laughs) Right, yeah. The the dropped-in experience feels like really important to speak to. In that process. Yeah. So now, especially after this practice, because everything which disturbs us during the practice, again, if you deeply think about it, it's just these two things. Mm. I want a blissful experience, but I don't have. Mm. I want an ecstatic feeling, but I don't have. Mm. I don't want this pain, but I have. Mm. I don't want this instability in my head, but I have. Mm. Everything is just these two. And this is one of the biggest things how Vipassana has helped me just simplify the experience of life for me because now I just look at things in, in, in these two buckets. Yeah. That's all. Mm. That's all. And I'm prepared. Any experience that I get into, whether it's a job interview, going to meet a girlfriend, anything, you know, normal mundane things, I'm prepared with these two things mentally, you know, and uh, then the outcome ceases to bother me Mm. because I know it's these just, you know, one of these two is going to happen and I'm not, I'm going to be unhappy with both of them. So I'm prepared. (laughs) Right. And because I'm prepared with that, I truly feel I'm one of the lightest beings walking this planet, man. Mm. You know, um, I can't truly say that I'm always happy, but I can say that I'm always thankful for this, Mm. you know, always thankful. Mm. Um, Even if I'm in a knot somewhere, because I understand that knot is nothing but one of these two. Mm. That's it. So it's just immensely simplified my life, my thinking. I don't know if it's right or wrong, you know, for me looking at things this way. Mm. But it simplified it a lot, man. Mm. Earlier I was always over-analyzing things. Oh, why this? Why this? And now if this, then then what? Mm. You know, if this or then what is nothing but these two again? (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah? So... Things just don't bother me anymore. Yeah. Yeah. 
I can sort of hear the, I guess I'll speak to my own, like what comes up for me as a almost devil's advocate uh, speaking from that place here is like, I guess my resistance that I would feel coming right now is like, but can, will I still be able to be creative? Yeah. Will I still be able to, um, like I love say, for instance, like the studying of Greek mythology. Mm. It's a huge part of my life. Mm. And I love all the intricacies and the mm. entanglements and all of that. And I just, I just love it, mm. you know? And I feel like it's a, it's a, um, it's such a deep way to explore reality mm. even, you know, it's not just that I'm in the stories, I'm like exploring reality that way. And I guess I hear this as like, well, is it a threat? Is that, is that way of thinking a threat to the engagement in like the mythic realm and in, into the creative realm and into that, into that kind of thing. Yeah. That's what I almost like as a devil's advocate mm. question, mm. right? I feel like I want yeah. to name it. I'm not quite sure if I'm saying it right, but you know, yeah, I get it. I think, but I don't think it's a threat. Yeah. Um, because again, one of the mistakes I think we make is labeling these experience as a pleasure or a threat or yeah, a gift right. or good or bad or right or wrong. Mm. We are so busy pasting those labels, man, like in a <laughs> in a wholesale shop, you know? <laughs> you know? And 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 we're just spending time pasting those labels rather than worrying about the content within those packages. <laughs> You know, yeah, it's absolutely. like you talk about Greek mythology, just like the Pygmalion effect. Yes. Uh, what is the Pygmalion effect? It's it's. I read it in also in Greek mythology. This example, it's about the power of expectations mm. and how you can manifest that. Where somebody draws a sculpture of a very beautiful woman, and the power of expectations turns that sculpture into a real oh, right. yeah. person. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, now we can sit here and debate all day whether it's right, wrong, whether it's a threat or not. But I just say, look at it for what it is. Mm. You know, like they say, even in Vipassana, the reality as it is, when it is, where it is. Okay, right now, in this moment, I'm thinking of this culture to be a real woman. Okay. Why should it be right or wrong? Why should it be for better or worse? It is what it is. Mm -hmm. And the moment I learn to see things as it is, I move away from a created reality. Mm. The threat that you speak of, I think personally, is nothing but a created reality. Mm. And when we when we learn to differentiate between the created versus as is, mm. the threats cease to exist. The created reality. Can you say a bit more about that? Created. Well, just like, you know, it's been raining since we started yeah. talking on this episode. Yes. Yes. But we are. And if we start creating a reality that, oh, what if it starts flooding now? It's been raining so much, uh, you know. Your partner, she's out, you know, driving on a bike right now. What if you start creating some thoughts around that? It's all created reality. Right, I see. Yeah. You know, versus as is. Yeah, it's raining. It's it's pleasant. We're enjoying it. Yeah. Nothing untoward 
has happened. Yeah. There's a, uh, there's a Grimm Brothers story called Clever Elsie. Mm. And um, in this story, basically, I'll just skip a part, but, um, you know, she's, she's wanting to meet a husband and, um, and Hans comes into town and the whole family's meeting, meeting Hans. And dad says, like, can you go get us a pitcher of beer? And so she walks down to the basement and she's just about to open the, the, uh, the keg and, and fill up the pitcher of beer. And she sees a pickaxe on the wall and she's like, oh, my God. And she, she goes, if Hans and I do get married and then one day we have a boy and the boy is nice and healthy and then when he's like a teenager and we come to my parents' house for dinner one night and instead of asking me to go and get the beer, she asks my son, our son, to go and get the beer. And then he comes down here and just when he's opening the keg, the pickaxe right at that moment could fall and just slice his brains out. Mm. Mm. So this is what, like yeah. clever Elsie, in the way that she's gone forward and created this enormous thing to stress out about and freak yeah. out about. Yeah. It's that kind of mind. Yeah. yeah. Versus if you say, and if it's truly happening, let's say. Yeah. Then you view it objectively as something which is happening. Right. That's the difference between created and <laughs> yeah, as is. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the difference between most meditation techniques and vipassana. Right. Mm. You know, uh, which is why they say you can't mix other techniques like kundalini okay. or reiki with vipassana. If you, not to say that this is better than the others. No, 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 not at all. Whatever works for you, whatever you've been practicing, that's fine. Yeah. But just if somebody is a reiki master, you know, or a kundalini teacher, at an advanced level, let's say, for yeah. them, it's recommended you don't practice vipassana. Okay. Because in that, you have, you know, the practice demands that you create that sort of a mm. experience a little bit. You are doing something to achieve something. Interesting. Yeah. Yes. You are yeah. trying to uh, incite your chakras or do whatever. Yeah. But you are doing something. You are triggering. It's like a, mm. like a math stick. Mm doing right. versus just observing what is yeah and and a lot of people they say they get entangled when they come from a certain background of one practice mm. into this and their mind gets locked up and teachers have to spend significant time with them to yeah i can bring imagine them out of it. yeah well it's interesting because um you know i'd say a few words on that because it's it's really part of what I love about Vipassana and why it was so good to go back after the, these 15 years um, is that in 2007, December 2007, I, I did the course. And then in 2008, I met a teacher who was here who'd spent eight years in India studying with a, a guy called Ramesh. Have you ever mm. heard of Ramesh? But he's, he's, his thing is about like you're not the doer. So he, the whole teaching is around that. Mm. So when I, I started to learn with this guy creating a sacral therapy, it was like, you're not the doer, you're not the creator of these symptoms in the body. And it's not up to us to do anything to the symptoms except for um, bring awareness and, and some level of understanding that the symptoms are there, almost like trying to get us into the is mm. of the symptoms that are in the body. The person's lying down and you're just observing. and And the whole teaching is like, you got to stop yourself from trying to be the healer of that mm. or trying to make that different than what mm. it is because it's enough just to observe that it is yeah. 
and then you start to see the rising and passing away of the yeah. thing, right? Yeah. And so then it starts to move. Yeah. And it's fascinating how powerful that style of observation is. Yeah. I think that's the thing that you're really getting to here yeah. within yourself to be able to see hmm, that is there. It is true that it's there. And then that's it. That's it. You know, and I don't have to put any labels or color it in a certain way yeah. or wear certain types of lenses to watch it. It's just there. It is there. Good or bad, the dirt within me, any good specs within me, whatever. Yeah. It's just there, man. But then there's this powerful thing that happens when the thing gets observed or senses itself being observed, right? That's the that's the interesting moment. That's yeah. why I really love craniosacral therapy and I really love the Pasano as far as like going back to it after all these years. Yeah. Because uh, I was able to get into like, just really drop in to it. Then it was almost like these body symptom things that were happening. They started to sense themselves getting seen in a way that wasn't me trying to change them. Mm. It wasn't me trying to push them away. Yeah. And wasn't me trying to get out of them. Yeah. No escape artist. And, yeah. You know, like eventually that is, yeah. you know, maybe that's day nine. So, yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then to notice that the, the thing would unravel itself you know, unravel itself out of its shape that it was in. Mm. And so that's my real fascination, mm. for better or worse. Mm. I am fascinated with that because mm. it's like, well, what, what is the nature of that? Mm. Versus saying, like, there's the thing and I'm going to make it different than what it is, mm. right? Because exactly. that's what most... Exactly. Most, yeah. Really, if we think about it, most modalities, most meditations are in some way trying to do that. Yeah, yeah. And it's just the natural habit pattern of the mind which we've cultivated right. you know across yeah. our lives that yeah that i have to do something i have to change something yeah, yeah. i have to make something it's so insistent right that yes. way, like it's really insists yes. on upon yes. that it's true and then that this is true i yeah. need to be again the hero yeah. i gotta wear the big hero yeah. lion and yes. you know take care of this situation and then receive the accolades and the praise. And yeah, the, that's you know, most important, yeah, yeah. you know? Yeah. Absolutely. Even in the name of meditation, I want people to praise me. That, oh, <laughs> you're a great man oh. now. <laughs> you're the only one after the Buddha. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. You're right. Yeah. You know, it's, it's that cre the experience of he the hero experience, like you put it. Yeah. Versus... A drop of ink in a glass of water. Mm. That's the experience which Buddha talks about. Mm. You know, what you're going to do to that? <laughs> it's just shaping itself. It's on its own and you can do nothing but watch. Mm. <laughs> yeah. You know, and... Uh, and I ask again myself that question a lot of times. Is my life experience like a drop of ink in a glass of water? You know, I love this analogy by him. Mm. Because it's got to be so seamless. You know. Mm. Uh, but of course, you know, it's, I'm nowhere near that. But at least just thinking about it, reminding about it, um, reminding myself about it over and over again. It brings some semblance to me. Mm. Yeah. And so you went from that, if we can come back to that second um, 
second. So we know that you've done 29 now. Yeah. Um, varying days. So yeah. ranging from what is it? 10, 20, 30, 45. Yeah. So you got to do a few. So I've done about 18 or 19, 10 days and then a 20 day, couple of 30 days because you need a 20 day to be able to do a 30 day. Okay. Then you need two 30 days to be able to do a 45. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and then now on the 1st of Jan next year, I'm going for my second 45 day course. Wow. Um, First of January. Yeah. I want to start the new year like that. You know, I'm yeah. taking, taking most of the year off next year mm. again, just to go deep uh, mm. because last four years with work and everything. Yes, I was doing courses, but I never went deep, you know, mm. and it's, it's like a hobby, you know, uh, and I don't want, I want everybody who's listening to think of whatever practice that you follow, think of it as a hobby. Don't think of it as something which will elevate you to, uh, you know, to the next level. No. Because that, again, is the burden of expectations. Mm. Uh, it's a hobby. It's something you go in, you enjoy doing, and that's it. Mm. You know? Um, even people walk in saying, oh, I'm going in because I'm stuck in life. And mostly, again, if you think, what are people stuck with? Stuck with relationships, number one. <laughs> that's the biggest, biggest trigger why people end up here <laughs> like I did. <laughs> yeah. Huh? Uh, relationships, work, some kind of disorientation in life, you know, or some kind of psychosomatic imbalance. These are the things which trigger people mostly to go in and seek some redemption in the name of meditation. Mm. But then we are still looking for answers. Hey, I went in the course. I still haven't found my answer. Oh, I'm still searching. Is it, is the technique really working or not? No, that's, you know, it's not going to work that way, I think. Hmm? Um, because you only get when you stop seeking. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and that's what, you know, I want everybody. I'm not fit enough to say that <laughs> I want to advise people, but I want to. I want you all to hear this um, and try to understand that. Don't be looking for answers. You know, you asked me a question earlier. What kind of mental preparation is needed getting into a course or a mm. long course, right? For me, it's just two kinds of reminders. Not even preparation. Reminders mm. first, which we talked about earlier that I'm a beginner. I don't care if I've done 25, 30 courses or long courses. I'm a beginner every single time. Mm. Second, I'm not, make sure I'm not looking for something mm. out of this course. Mm. You know, even if I don't get anything, even if I feel, even if I feel it's been such a waste of time, it's okay. Mm. Not looking for anything, man. You know, and, uh, that's when I feel that I get the most. Mm. Beautiful. Yeah. And would you say, um, you know, we'll, we'll wrap up here in a moment as well, but uh, yeah, what has been, 
what would you say has changed in your life between the pre 2005 Parsi who's in maybe in Silicon Valley and you know th- this you and the you that we see sitting here today oh man you know yeah I was a big egoistic rock <laughs> yeah before that and even for many years after I started doing it because yeah change doesn't arrive overnight mm. it's like you know again example which they give uh, if you're driving a car at 100 miles an hour on the highway and you apply the brakes you're not going to come from 100 to zero in one shot mm. 90 80 70 slowly slowly mm. yes same thing so i was this big egoistic rock not ready to change or reform or listen um you know just not ready to budge from my own way Mm. and now little bit little bit i think it's like that drop of ink in a glass of water Mm. where i'm okay being dissolved in the everyday life dissolved as in that i don't mean anything you know it's okay it's okay to feel that i'm nobody man you know, mm. uh, it's okay to feel that my presence doesn't matter. Hmm? Mm. Um, and, you know, and, and generally, wherever I go, and I've been very lucky and fortunate in that manner, generally people have always liked me and loved me, even strangers, you know. Mm. I mean, you and I, we didn't know each other. Yeah, didn't talk you know? to each other. And, uh, <laughs> right? Yeah. And here I am, you've invited me to your house and uh, yeah. given me a chance to step into your life. And, you know, so I get this love from people generally. Mm. Uh, and I never try to question myself why. I just feel thankful for it, mm. you know. And I think it's because of this that now I'm not that mm. rock, you know. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, so so that one difference I feel how I'm contributing to the environment around me. I'm always mindful now, even in a foreign setting with foreign people, that what am I contributing to the environment, mm. you know, um, through my behavior, through my words, through my actions, whatever it might be. But what am I contributing to the environment? This thing is always top of my mind. Mm. You know, uh, even if I'm in a dark alley somewhere, nobody watching me, what am I contributing to the environment? Mm. You know, so that's always top of my mind, which I never thought of earlier. <laughs> yeah, sure. Earlier it was always about what's the environment given me? Uh. <laughs> yeah, you know, because I'm still not full. I want more. Mm. So that's one big change. Second one, uh, you know, I feel much, much lighter now, Mm. you know. If there was a way of, you know, and you're an innovative person, maybe that's a business idea for you. If there was a weighing scale to measure what's the internal baggage we all carry. (laughs) (laughs) I'll try to come up with something. You know, Uh I I can say I'm I'm probably one of the lightest. You know, It's, it's like this story in Zen Buddhism about two monks Mm -hmm. who were walking across a forest and uh, this they come across a stream 
that needs to be crossed. And as they are wading through the waters, they observe a young pretty woman who is trying to cross the same stream, but she's stuck. So one of the monk goes, lifts her up, um, crosses to the other side, puts her down, and they walk their own way. Hmm. A few moments later, the other monk says, Hey, brother, I don't think what you did was right. Because as monks, we are not supposed to touch a woman. Hmm. He says, my friend, it's true that I carried her. But it's also true that you are still carrying her. <laughs> yes. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and, and Vipassana has helped me to live this reality of not carrying mm. those burdens with me anymore. Mm. You know, my mistakes, my, um, you know, everything where I could have done things differently. Hey, it's all part of the learning, man, all part of the experience. Mm. Everything which I always felt others did wrong to me. Now I feel nobody has ever done anything wrong to me. I don't think I've ever met a bad person in my life. Mm. Ever. You know? Um, So, that's the biggest change. It's a pretty big change. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Percy. And thank you also for your contribution to my podcast, to the show, to to being willing to come and sit with me and, and chat and and share of everything you've you've sort of you know, not just share the stories and the the ideas, but you know, share share your soul with us and, and the generosity is really felt. So thank you. Oh, thank you for having me, Chris, you know. Mm. Um, for at least for thinking that I'm <laughs> I'm worth having a chat with. Hmm? Knowing and, and that's been, that much I know. And it's yeah. been it's been a good, fun conversation, you know? Yeah. Thank you so much. Man. Great. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Thank you for listening to On The Souls Terms podcast. Find me online at onthesoulsterms.com or on Instagram at onthesoulsterms. The music behind me is from Malia Kuehr. Find her on Spotify, Malia, C-O-E-U-R. I look forward to seeing you next time.